Welcome back to your weekly dose of shock therapy brought to you by the State Again Network. Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers here. Camp just started, man. How are you feeling? You excited? Football is back. It's back. I One of my favorite times of the year. We are 0-0, zero zero, start of a training camp. Anything can happen. Honestly, I was buzzing from yesterday. I think we really got the ball rolling when the front office came to terms on rookie deals with Ray Sean Slater and Trey McKitty. That really had me buzzing. And then today, waking up, the start of training camp, if you're a Chargers fan and you are not just through the roof with excitement uh, on the talent that we have on this team, this coaching staff, the direction we're going, like I honestly feel very sorry for you because I am through the roof with excitement. I I could hardly contain it. And I'm kind of bummed that this is going to be a Broncos episode. It is going to be a little bit of a Broncos episode, but you know what? That's okay because, you know, there are AFC West rival. Uh, we got to break them down anyways. And going through their roster, I was not nearly as impressed as I was uh, previously when I had gone through them. Uh, but I'll be at camp, uh, sorry, August 6th and then August 8th for FanFest. Uh, if you have the opportunity to go to FanFest, we get a concert by The Offspring, uh, which I haven't heard The Offspring since I was like, I don't know, junior high maybe. Yeah, junior high dance. I don't. I don't. I can't even name an offspring song. Oh, I can. I can name a few. Um, Pretty fly for a white guy. That one sticks out <laughs> in my head for some reason. Uh, why don't you get a job? There's, but they're they're old man. They're like nineties. Like, they're they're an old band. Uh, I don't know who the main is. Uh, apparently, they'll be there as well. I'm I'm really jealous because I've been seeing so many videos on Twitter Me too. all day long from everybody from camp. You're seeing uh, Tyrone Johnson uh, make like laying out for some tough grabs and stuff yeah. like that. I'm I'm jealous seeing everybody at camp today. It's yeah. been all over my Twitter feed. The whole thing is is just Charger training camp. Um, bum that I'm not there, but I, I honestly that's the only other way that I'd like it. Everyone else feeding us the content. It's been a great day on Chargers Twitter, in my opinion. I've had a lot of fun. Just all the, you know, different takes coming from camp. Um, really interesting to see Brandon Staley at work doing all the things that we thought he was going to do. Uh, very, very interesting to see this team starting to take form. Yeah, so I got a couple notes on the Chargers training camp, mostly from Daniel Popper. Uh, number one, they are pri- prioritizing health. Uh, that's been at the forefront of everything. Uh, They're going to be practicing three days on, one day off, three days on, one day off, which is good because what matters is week one. Nothing else matters but week one. So it's good to know that Brandon Staley is putting health at the forefront. Uh, The other thing is that he's going to be giving a little extra time off to some of the the veterans, the 10-year vets. You got the Linval Josephs, Jared Cooks, Brian Bulaga, Chris Harris Jr., those guys are established veterans. No need to really uh, beat them down in camp. Uh, they're pretty much solidified in their roles. Uh, if anything, keeping them fresh deep in, into the season with a, an extra game added to the year, uh, it just makes a lot of sense. We, we know what we're going to be getting from some of those guys. Uh, it looks like from, from what I was hearing, the defense kind of started off a lot stronger than the offense. Uh, that's in every single level. The defense is always further ahead than the offense. So I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, There were a couple highlights. I guess Joe Reed had a highlight. It looks like my guy, Austin Prohl, has been the uh, punt returner that's flashed the most, though I do know that you've got Jalen Guyton and Tyrone Johnson returning as well as K.J. Hill. Uh, One other thing of note, Joe Reed is not – returning punts. Uh, that is something that does concern me a little bit. And then I know that Michael Davis did have a, uh, a PBU, which is good to see. Uh, it's only the first day of camp, so we'll see ultimately where everything leads. Uh, any final comments on, on training camp, Zach? I, I think the, the biggest takeaway for me is we got through day one. Everybody's healthy. I, I don't remember the last time we got through a, a day of practice with everybody that we came in, you know, wanting to play. Um, to me, that's the biggest, the biggest takeaway. The, just the, the, the attention to detail on the players health and safety. I, I love it. I couldn't be more thrilled with Brandon Staley and how he's attacking this, this off season. 
All right, so let's get into Broncos. This is Broncos week. We're going to talk about their coaching staff, their offense, their defense, and really just try to get a, a good feel for where do we rank in relation to them in, in terms of the AFC West. Let's start off with head coach Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio, he's got 40 years of coaching experience, which is incredible. He started his NFL coaching career in 1986 for the Saints. Uh, but before that, he was a high school linebackers coach starting in 1979. Uh, that was 11 years before I was even born, which is incredible. Uh, he's a first-time head coach, though. Uh, his defenses have always been pretty well coached and very well disciplined. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator for the Bears for a while. Uh, he was on the 49ers coaching staff. And if you look at his defensive players, you've got Let's go back to the Bears. Pernell McPhee, Akeem Hicks, Adrian Amos, uh, Danny Trevathan, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson. Those have been real strong units. And then you go to the 49ers, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, Ahmad Brooks, Alvin Smith, Justin Smith, Carlos Rogers. And then you can go way back to the Ravens where you've got Ray Lewis, uh, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, Haloti Nagata and Bart Scott. So those have been some pretty dominant units over the years. He's been very good at developing his defensive stars. Uh, he is probably one of the most experienced coaches in the entire NFL. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about his, his come up, but let's talk about his head coaching experience. This is only his third year as a head coach. He went seven to nine his first year, five and 11 last year. They're still looking for their first winning season under Fangio. And for me, I really don't think he's a great head coach. I think he, very similarly to Anthony Lynn, he really hasn't shown the ability to manage games during crunch time. He has very questionable decisions, you know, down the stretch. I definitely think, you know, two seasons is definitely a short sample size. I think he deserves a shot to prove that he can be the guy. But the NFL is a business. I really think that if the Broncos come out of the gate struggling, they're going to look for somebody to blame. And I really see Fangio, if... They don't come out strong. I, I could see him getting the, the you know, the axe midseason. Um, yeah, I, I really think he's on the hot seat going into this season just because of, as a head coach, he hasn't been super successful up to this point. I think a big problem with the Broncos is their their quarterback situation that they've had since Fangio yeah. has been there. Because if you, if you still look at that team, it's still pretty well coached. And if you look at just his track record as a defensive coordinator – Let's go back to the Bears real quick. So when he took over the Bears uh, defense, their PFF ranking was 21st, then 22nd, then 8th, then 1st. You go back to the 49ers, 2nd, 3rd, 5th, 11th. You go back to the Ravens, 1st, 10th, 10th, 1st, 1st. He has a, a track record of making defenses better. The issue with him is that that doesn't necessarily translate to head coaching ability, yeah. right? So it's interesting to know that he his defenses have been very, very good, but that's no longer his role. So I don't know if he, as a head coach, is the guy. You know, he's, he's a good coach, no doubt about that. But is he a head coach? Does he inspire? Does he manage games? And, and I'm not necessarily sure he's the guy for that. I'm right there with you. On top of it, the defensive-minded head coaches, you're just not as sought after. I really think I'm, I'm I really think if they struggle, he can he could by week five or six, they'll be looking for an interim head coach. It'll be interesting to to track that and see where that goes. The uh, Broncos offensive coordinator is Pat Shermer. Again, another very, very well-known coach in in the NFL. His coaching career started with the, uh, as a head coach, started with the Giants from 2018 to 2019. And he was also a uh, head coach for the Browns from 2011 to 2012. Uh, he's been an offensive coordinator for plenty of years with the Vikings in 2017, where he won uh, assistant coach of the year. The Eagles 2013 to 2015 and the Rams from 2009 to 2010. He's been known for developing quarterbacks. If you look, you've got Donovan McNabb. You've got Sam Bradford, Nick Foles. Uh, he turned Case Keenum into a serviceable, serviceable <laughs> starter for the Vikings somehow, some way. 
Uh, he's got his misses. You look at Colt McCoy, Brandon Whedon. I mean, he he got cut caught in that Browns terrible quarterbacking scenario there for carousel. a while. Carousel, what was that? The Circus. carousel. So he was part of that. Uh, but he did take over for the Giants, and he, he did name Daniel Jones a starter over Eli Manning, which was, you know, head-scratching. It took a lot of negative media attention, but was it kind of deserving? I kind of get it. So what are your thoughts on Pat Shermer? Yeah, I, I mean, another guy with a ton of experience, I think over another 20 years in the NFL, uh, and then 12 years either as a head coach or an offensive coordinator, obviously a guy is very successful, you know, has coached nine playoff teams, has appeared in six different conference championships, and also made an appearance, uh, I, th- I think, with the Panthers in the 2003 Super Bowl. So that's 17 seasons he's been coaching, and he has directly coached six different 3,000-yard passers, four 1,000-yard receivers, and three 1,000-yard rushers. So the offenses he's working in, they're they're successful. He has good credentials, but he's definitely going to have his work cut out for him because if you look at the 2021 Denver Broncos, the weakness definitely lies on the offensive side of the football. Oh, for sure. It definitely does. Uh, Let's go over to the defensive side. You got Ed Donatell. Uh, Ed Donatell's coaching career started with the Packers from 2000 to 2003. Then he went over to the Falcons from 2004 to 2006. And most recently, he was with the Broncos in 2019, uh, up till 2019. So he specializes in defensive backs. His coaching career is long, but it hasn't been overly impressive, at least in terms of being a true defensive coordinator. As a positional coach, he has been very, very good. Uh, the Broncos, they run a 3-4 defense predominantly, and Brandon Staley is very, very familiar with Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio from their time with the Bears, from their time with the Broncos. Schemes are very, very similar. Uh, everything that Brandon Staley knows he got from Vic Fangio. Uh, that's just where he learned how to be a defensive-minded head coach. Um and, you know, they, the Vic and Donatel have been on the same coaching staff for 10 years in a row, which I thought mm-hmm. was pretty interesting. What are your thoughts on Ed Donatel? Yeah. Well, unlike Shermer, he's not going to have any talent issues. That Denver defense is loaded with elite playmakers at every level. Um, and you said it. Yeah, Donatel's been with him for a, a long time, but I, I really think he's more than just a familiar face. I really do think he's a brilliant defensive mind, and under his guidance the past two seasons, the Broncos became the first team since 1995 when red zone stats started being tracked to lead the league in red zone defense in consecutive years. Over two years, 107 attempts against the Denver Bronco defense, only 47 conversions, 43.9%. Very effective. That defense is already hard to score on, but then when you shrink the the field in the red zone it, it becomes almost impossible the last thing i kind of want to touch on so let's let's talk about john elway i know john elway was building this broncos team for more than a few years now i know that he just relieved those duties to a guy that i don't even know uh is it gonna help them i don't really know i really expected john elway being the hall of fame quarterback that he was to be able to draw in some sort of quarterback talent, he never was able to. <laughs> and it's it's kind of head-scratching, the guys that he's gone after. But he did bring Drew Locke in, and he did bring Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterbacks of next year, at the very least. I don't know who's going to win that, that starting job, though, Zach. Who, who's going to win that job? Well, that, that one's tough. Um... That one's tough because it, it well, let's just look, let's go take a step back. Cause I really think if you look at the rest of this Denver Bronco defense or the roster in general, if you add an elite quarterback onto this team, they're ready to compete for a Super Bowl today. I, I really oh, think sure. the rest of that team is that good. Um, and then with this crazy off season, how many names did we get thrown that were going to become the new Broncos uh, starting quarterback, you know, Deshaun Watson. I really Aaron thought Rogers was a shot. Oh, I was so scared that that was going to happen. And then when you came into the draft, you threw, you, you saw Justin Fields being thrown around a lot at number nine. Um, now you have, you're going into camp with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, which I think are two very, very different quarterbacks with Locke. 
young guy. He has all the confidence in the world when standing in the pocket. But for him, that's not a good thing because no. he just awful decision making tied for the league lead in interceptions last year. And his completion percentage of 57.3 was dead last. But still so, plays a swagger, which is I, I love watching him on the sidelines. He is fun. <laughs> he's a character. He's a he he's is. A, he's a weirdo, man. I like him though. <laughs> I really think he, I, I think he's very talented, but I just kind of think he was thrown into the fire a little too fast. I think the best thing for him, honestly, is to t- take just a year and sit and watch a guy like Bridgewater, who I think right now is a lot better for this um, Bronco team because. The, the biggest reason, the biggest knock against Bridgewater is he doesn't like to take shots down the field. He's very much a game manager. And if you have this crazy defense that is it's going to, I don't think, is going to give up more than 28 points very often, you're always going to be in a, in a game with that. I, I think you kind of like a, a game manager like Bridgewater who's not going to turn the ball around three, four times a game. That at least keeps you in games. What do you think? So... Drew Locke, when he came on at the end of the year as a rookie, he was impressive. He was very, very impressive. And then if you look at the offensive line last season, you had a really, really good Garrett Bowles who didn't allow a single sack. We'll talk about the offensive line here in a second. Uh, But it wasn't overly impressive like I thought it was. I was kind of just going off of big names. You had Graham Glasgow. I was a big fan of Lloyd Cushenberry coming out of the draft. And then Dalton Reisner is another guy that I kind of like there. But they didn't play very well together. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that more here in a second. I'd see two scenarios, right? I see if Drew Locke wins the starting job, Bridgewater becomes a very, very good mentor. And Drew Locke is talented. The other scenario is Bridgewater wins the job. And you're essentially you're giving up on Drew Locke because that's that's going to shoot down his confidence in yeah. some way, shape or form for for him to be the guy. And then you bring in a guy that just is really a placeholder. You're not committing to Bridgewater for any lo- length of time. If yeah, I didn't think about that. That's if that's point. what you're doing, you you got to trade Drew Locke away, right? You have to. You, you got a guy who was a second round pick just two seasons ago you're going to get some sort of draft capital for him. And he would go really well to like a team like Washington, maybe Pittsburgh, maybe New Orleans, right? I just don't see if you don't name Drew Locke the starter, how do you keep him? And you're you're not just bringing in competition, you're bringing in a replacement. If you're bringing in a replacement, you got to let him go. If you're bringing in competition, you have to let him win. Regardless of if he wins or not, you have to let him win. So it, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Drew Locke, 57% with 16 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. That's very Josh Allen-like as a passer just a few <laughs> seasons ago. But Josh Allen got it together. Uh, he was missing his number one wide receiver. We'll get into the wide receivers here in a second. Uh, I say just develop him. Give him his full four years to, to develop, put all your resources into him. Teddy's great competition, but he's been a career backup for most of his career for a reason. Yeah. Part of that was the horrendous knee injury. But, you know, he's a great team player. He's very conservative, uh, especially after his injury. I think he's a really good NFL backup. I, I like him in that kind of role to help mold Drew Luck. Because I, I just don't see why you give up on Drew Locke before before you give up on Drew Locke. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you. And, and then it's, it's what are what are the reasons against Drew Locke, right? His, it's d- decision-making. All young quarterbacks kind of struggle with it in one way or another if your name's not Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert. So I think it's something natural. You kind of just have to go through the learning curves. And if that's your guy, that's your guy. You kind of got to give him a shot. So I'm with you on that one. The last thing I'll say about Teddy Bridgewater. You ever hear the trucks and trailers analogy? No, I don't think I have. So you can fit a lot onto a trailer, right? You can have him game manage his way into different wins, but you need a truck to tow a trailer. And Teddy is not a truck. He can't carry the team. He's a trailer. He can carry a lot on his plate but he needs a driving force. 
And if you don't have that, you don't have that. So that's my my final thought on on Teddy Bridgewater. He's a trailer. He's not a truck. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Bridgewater, the trailer. <laughs> you didn't hear it here first. You <laughs> probably heard it from uh, from somebody on Twitter. He's a big name. Maybe you heard of him. Sounds like a big deal. Ian Rappaport. <laughs> Ian Rappaport was the, the person I got that analogy from. Uh, trucks and trailers. So... Running backs, Melvin Gordon, we're very, very familiar with Melvin Gordon. I'm honestly still a fan of Melvin, even after all of the shade he threw back to Los Angeles after he left. I just like his running size, an angry runner. He's a big back. Uh, he doesn't really have the home run ability. Maybe once a season he'll break a 50-yarder, but he's just an angry, angry runner. Uh, he's good to miss a couple games a year. It's just with his running style, that's what you're going to get. Uh, the thing I hated the most about Melvin was his fumbling issues mm-hmm. at key moments of the game. He would wait until it was like a fourth and one deep into the the game. Game's on the line. You just need a first down, and he fumbles and gives it away. Or you need one yard on the at, at the one-yard line to punch it in. And you've been very, very good at doing it on third downs, but when he gets into the red zone, for some reason, you just can't do it. I don't get it, but I still like Melvin Gordon as a player. I like his personality. He's a good back if he can hold on to the ball. He really is. Yeah. I, well, and surprising, even with losing Philip Lindsay, I really think this running back group is shaping up to be a decent group with, with the one-two punch of, of Melvin Gordon and then rookie Javante Williams. Big fan. Yeah. Like, like you said, um, when when Gordon's healthy, that guy's legit. I. I, I'm not I'm not a huge fan anymore because of the shady through, but I, I will admit he's a good football player. But I really, really like Javante Williams as the change of pace, kind of keep him off balance. He's my dark horse to win offensive rookie of the year. I like him that much. I think there's it's definitely gonna be an uphill battle for him, but I really like the player. He's built like a linebacker. He likes to run people over. Looking at its tape. It's almost like he he's like attracted to contact. He looks he for is. it. He wants to run people over, and I love that about his running style. Um, behind them, they signed Mike Boone from the Vikings. I, I don't think he's anything special, but a decent backup. Uh, and just doing my research for for this episode, I, I was surprised to hear that Royce Freeman's name is one of the guy as as a guy on the roster bubble. Um, talk around camp is is that they're probably going to cut ties entirely, which I, I think will be very interesting to see. He's or still trade. worth some sort of trade value, I would think, at least a late round pick. Yeah, interesting to see how that develops because I thought Freeman has, you know, tons left to prove. Um, but, you know, I, I could be wrong there. You know, it's funny as Royce Freeman seems to always be super impressive during the preseason. He was a monster at Oregon. He just hasn't been able to get it all together. Uh, he is kind of the odd man out there. They did bring in his replacement already. Mm-hmm. Royce Freeman just never seemed to get the fair shake. Uh, Javante Williams is a stud. I, I I totally see him as a uh, as a number one back, especially starting next year when you're letting go of Melvin Gordon. Oh yeah, because you're not going to hold him. He is the replacement. He is the workhorse back. He's going to be a fantasy monster. If not this year, starting next year, he's just going to be the guy. Well, You're going to see him draft in the top five for sure. He's also a, f- a phenomenal pass blocker as well. So everything you want from a three down running back, he checks all the boxes and some. So he, he's a yeah. hell of a player. He's just developing his patch, pass catching out of the backfield. Uh, I really liked him paired with Michael Carter Williams. The one one thing that the running back room in Denver is missing is a pass catching back. Melvin Gordon is serviceable in that role, but that's not his. You're not splitting him out wide. You're not doing anything like that. You're not doing it with Javante Williams or Royce Freeman, maybe Mike Boone. I don't, I'm not sure. You've got three very similar backs, though, in Gordon, Williams, and Freeman as between the tackles runners. Yeah, I, I like Javante Williams' balance. He stays on his feet. Uh, he's an angry runner as well. He's he likes contact, so I think that's going to be the strength of this offense is going to be in the run game, especially when you don't know what you're going to get under center, especially when you don't know who's going to win that battle in the first place, right? Yeah, a lot of question marks for sure. But the wide receiver room is extremely strong. 
Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and Tim Patrick. They have a couple more guys, but those are the four primary guys that are right there. So go ahead and talk to me about some of the wide receivers. Yeah, well, I was just taking a look. They have 15 receivers that reported to camp. You named the four locks, but depending on who they keep, you know, that's 11 guys vying for three, four spots. They did keep seven last year, but it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, who fills out the back end of that position group. But I'm, I'm excited that Sutton is back and healthy. You know, when I was writing my story for the LA Football Network, you know, ranking Keenan Allen and Mike Williams um, amongst receiving duos, Sutton and Judy were constantly listed as a top 10 receiving duo in this league, um, which, which I think we need to, you know, pump the brakes on that just a little bit because the pair hasn't played a single game together. You know, Judy is going into his second season, and and to this is really technically, you know, Sutton's third season. I think they have all the talent in the world. I think they will eventually be a top 10 unit, but they haven't played, taken a single snap together. I, I think they're very exciting talents, and I'm really excited to see them play together, but we haven't seen them play together. I don't know how much I could that. Well, when you look at, at the talent of those two players, right, Cortland Sutton is talented enough to finish as a top 10 wide receiver next season. Sure. Jerry Judy is a future top 10 star. No doubt about it. He's got the talent for it. He should have been the first, first taken off the board. Henry Ruggs should not have been the first wide receiver taken off the board last year. He was not nearly as good or dynamic, and you saw it in their stats. Uh, they could totally finish as a top duo. I could see them being in that six, seven, eight range because I think that the talent is there for them to do so. Judy could be a thousand yard receiver and Sutton certainly is a thousand yard receiver. My, my whole thing is I think they have all the potential in the world to do it. I haven't seen them on the field at the same time for a single snap. So that that's my whole thing. Can they do it? Guaranteed. I just need to see it, you know, materialize. I just need to see them play with a better quarterback is that'll help a gunslinger. I mean, if they, if they would have got Rogers, they would have definitely been one too. Like oh yeah, the best, the best duo for sure. I think that's really what's holding them back is limited quarterback play. Uh, KJ Hamler, uh, he underwhelmed. He's a small, shifty slot wide receiver. He was a guy I was kind of looking forward to, to potentially becoming a charger because I think he offers some dynamic kick return ability. He's a guy that can stretch the field. He's fast, but he's small. <laughs> and that's the other part that you're getting with it. He's, he's dangerous. Uh, I love this Penn State film, but again, quarterback play could be limiting his production a little bit. And then the, that last guy, Tim Patrick, filled in for Cortland Sutton last season. He is their wide receiver four, but he's super talented as well. He had over 700 yards receiving and six touchdowns last year. He was their wide receiver one. Uh, I think that because you're putting Judy in the slot and you're going to put KJ Hamler in the slot, and then you're going to play Cortland Sutton, all over the place, primarily outside. You know, Tim Patrick probably isn't going to get nearly the number of targets that he did, but he's dynamic and he's probably the best wide receiver for in the NFL. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about Sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. I'm with you there. Yeah. Hell of a replacement. You know, losing Sutton is devastating, but he did a very, very fine job, I think, in, re in replacement for that guy. They're tight ends. Uh, it's Noah Fant and a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. Noah Fant, though, he's a stud, man, and I don't think he's getting the fair shake that he deserves. You know, some of it is because of where he was drafted. You got 
a lot of guys that are kind of at that same age group, same tier as him, which would be TJ Hawkinson, Irv Smith Jr., Mike Gesicki, and most recently Harrison Bryant, who's super talented. Somebody out of that group is going to become the next tight end star, right? You got a lot of aging guys. You got Hunter Henry. You've got um, some of the guys over there with the Eagles. You got some older guys, but somebody in that group is going to become the next 1,000 yard receiving tight end. And I think Noah Fant's the guy to do it. I think he was more impressive as a rookie than TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he ranked fifth in receiving grade, according to PFF, uh, based off of the 30 target threshold that I, I set it at. Uh, he just wasn't very well graded as a blocker, which was to be a l- expected a little bit. But Noah Fant, he's a very young, talented tight end, one of the best at in his age group. And he's going to develop into to a very, very good player. Yeah, the, the excitement surrounding Fant, you know, is, is very well-deserved. Huge part of the Broncos' offense last year. He led the team in receptions with 62, third in receiving with 673 yards, and I think was tied second with three touchdowns. He played in over 70% of the team's offensive snaps last year. Now, all of that had to do with, like you said, not a lot, whole lot of talent behind him, and mostly – that their fourth, their 2020 fourth round draft pick, Albert. I'm gonna take a shot at this one. That's Oka why I Wabanam. said a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> Albert Okawabanam. Um, he missed the rest of the season, but 2020 when they drafted him, he was supposedly on fire, very impressive during camp. Ended up suffering a training camp injury. Ended up see- seeing four games within Torres ACL, but he's apparently made a ton of progress. Um, and supposed to be available for their season opener. I know they really like him, but like you said, behind them, they have Eric Saubert, Austin Fort, I guess reliable depth pieces, but Saubert only had three catches last year. Fort has yet to see the field, so that there's your depth pieces. Um, and then they let Nick Vanette go, who was their primary inline blocking tight end. You mentioned it. Fant is not known for his blocking. Um, I think they're really set with pass catchers. I think Fant and Okawabanam, I think they're really good at catching the ball. I think they're going to be lacking for – they're going to be hurting um, with the lack of blocking tight end at that position. I think that could really hurt the Broncos this year. You know, and they also don't have a reliable fullback anymore. Andrew Beck is listed as their fullback. Uh, their previous fullback name name totally gets away from me, but he just retired. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're a running team without blocking tight ends, which – could spell some trouble in Denver. Well, and also some question marks along the offensive line too. I... They do, but you know, one position that's not a question mark, at least right now, is Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles is the, the star left tackle of the group. He looked like a bus up until last season where he just seemed to get it all together, and he, it really earned him a massive contract. He's allowed 14 sacks over his first three seasons, but zero last year. Just signed a four-year, $68 million contract with about $17 million a year average, which is the sixth highest among all left tackles. Now, I'm really hoping that he regresses back to his 2018-2019 seasons. But Bowles, you know, he he was the first offensive tackle taken in his draft. Uh, We'll see where if he regresses a little bit and comes back down to, you know, his – he wasn't very athletic coming out of college. He was just no. a big, strong guy, but he managed to get it together last year. I'm not too stoked about that. No, I, neither am I. He, he took massive strides last year, and after you know being labeled a, a draft day bust, he played at, at a very high level, almost an All Pro level. And I think if he continues at the, at the if he continues and improves off his play last year, he'll be an All Pro in the next year or two. That's scary. I want the regression to start. I do, too, for sure, without yeah. a doubt. On the op- opposite edge of him is going to be Bobby Massey, who comes over from the Bears. He's a serviceable starter, but he's dealt with injuries the last couple years, hasn't been playing more than eight to ten games. He is a pretty decent average starter, I would say, but he's nothing special. He's not He's not a dog or anything, not in the run game, not in the pass game. If you can think back, I mean, the Bears have not had a really good offensive line or offensive tackles in quite some time. Uh, So they just got what I think is going to be a holdover for a year or two uh, until they can either draft or sign somebody to to fill the 
void on the opposite end. Well, and you know, like why they, what happened with their right tackle, right? With Jawan James? No, I, I don't. So that's such a brutal story. Um, Jawan James sat out the 2020 season because of COVID. And I think he also had um, a child, if I'm not mistaken, but then was supposed to come back this season was training outside of the facility and tore his Achilles. And the team said, Oh see, yeah, see you that's later. right. They so, totally just gave him the boot after, and he's like pr- training for the, for the season, but because for it was them. away. Yeah. yeah. That's um, not classy at all. Denver. No, I, I, I thought that was, you know, that was a tough break. I, I really hope he gets it together and, and gets another shot next year. Oh, but, um, I hope he go, comes to like a division rival and just eats them up. Oh, uh, yeah. That'd be sweet. Uh, Brian Bulaga, if he retires or something next season, I totally am down to bring him back because he's going to play with some fire, some anger. I would you know, say he lost so. a lot of money that, that year. A that's, lot of money. And not even, you know, that's at this point a livelihood, you know, how it's. And he has a child on the way. Um, devastating news. I really hope he can get it back together and heal up and play some professional football again. And then to replace him, you bring in Massey from the Bears. He's average at best. And then I found it out. He's turning 32 on August 1st. Wrong end of 30. Not that great. I, I don't know. For this offensive line to be decent, they're going to need a right tackle and they got Massey and then Cameron Fleming they brought in also to compete for that spot. I don't, I'm not very impressed with either of those guys. No, I think they're holdovers. Uh, I am a little more high on their interior of their offensive line. Dalton Reisner was a guy that I wanted the Chargers to draft in the first round a few years ago. I think they took Jerry Tillery instead, and I was just left scratching my head like, come on, what are you guys doing? Uh, they also drafted Lloyd Cushenberry last year. He was the worst graded center in the entire NFL last year. I don't think that's going to be the case again. I actually liked Lloyd Cushenberry. If you don't know, he played with the LSU super team is what I'll call it, right? The the best college offense in the history of the college football national championship ever. That, that was a ridiculous team. Uh, I think Lloyd Cushenberry just – I don't know. Maybe it was just some jitters or whatnot, but I really liked his college tape. And then you got Graham Glasgow, who's kind of the veteran of this offensive line. Uh, He came over from, I want to say it was the Lions. He's above average guard. He's a people mover. He's a smart player. Uh, I think that this interior of the offensive line is super talented. They just, for whatever reason, didn't have that last year. And to be honest, the Broncos offensive line, is the only offensive line in the AFC West returning four of their five starters from last year. So that could help them build some sort of chemistry. But overall, PFF ranks the Chargers offensive line 18th and the Broncos 21st. But again, they return four or five starters. Where are the, what is the Raiders? Where are the Raiders ranked on that offense? I hope line? that they're last. <laughs> they should be. They are going to be bad. We'll, we'll look into that next week, actually. The only reason I ask is because I think on paper today, the Denver Broncos have the worst offensive line in the conference. And you know you have a problem, major problem, when you're ranked behind the Raiders in anything. They're absolutely awful. And just looking at the names, the the Broncos are just very young and unproven. That's what it is. They're young. The, the, The Raiders, a lot of proven vets at the you know tail end of their career plus colton miller so i don't know i i today at this point i think the oakland raiders offensive line is better than the denver broncos i th- i'm gonna have to disagree with you on that because i like garrett bulls i like dalton reisner a lot. i like dalton reisner a lot a lot a lot a lot more than most people do i think graham glasgow is an above average guard as well yeah. lloyd cushionberry bobby massey are the two guys i'm just really not impressed with yeah yeah. And I like Lloyd Cushenberry. I just he was the worst graded center in the NFL last well, year. And, and he's a rookie. He's a rookie on a struggling unit on a struggling team. And it's a hard position to play. So I'll give him some slack there. He he was a hell of a, ta- a talent coming out of college. So you're gonna you're gonna give a guy like that a, another shot. And then I'll give you one more, right? So I actually like their depth on the interior of the offensive line as well. I would not be surprised if Quinn Meaners is their starting center 
over Lloyd Cushenberry last year. He's that small school guy that was just he's just massive, dude. He's got the yeah. biggest belly. He's, he says he wears like cutoff shirts and says he just needs to let the belly breathe. Just, yeah. needs, just needs to let the belly breathe. And then Natane Natane Muti, I think is his name. He was a Fresno guard. He was another guy I was pretty high on in the draft a few years ago, but just couldn't stay healthy for them. They got some. They got some young guys to that offensive line room that could be a lot more impressive than what everyone's giving them credit for. I think so. they're just a few years away from developing some of those young guys. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. To me, it's it's Cushenberry needs to make massive strides. You need to get what you expected from Reisner when you drafted him, and you need one of these average tackles to step up at right tackle. That That's kind of my two cents. I don't think that they're going to get the tackle thing figured out for a few years unless no. they go and sign a big free agent or something like that, but no. not not Bobby Massey, and it's not going to be Camp Fleming. I mean, yeah. if your last name is Fleming... <laughs> That alone is is terrible. <laughs> what is your d- issue with Fleming? You were it bullied just, by a Fleming in high school. Or no, not? it just sounds like a like a like a loogie to me. I don't know, like a Fleming. Flem, I guess. Yeah, it, it has half of know. the it has half of the word in it. So yeah, that's what I think of like Fleming. Whatever. Let's move <laughs> on to their edge rushers. So they have a very very strong edge rushing room especially at the top three of their depth chart. Von Miller, I think, is still one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, even if he sat out for a season, even if he only had like 10 sacks in 2020 uh, or 2019 when he last played. And then you got Bradley Chubb, who was a top four, top five pick just a few seasons ago. Malik Reed had 10 sacks last year. And then they got Derek Tuska. I don't know who that is, to be honest, but he was a rookie last year. But I, I, like I said, I think Von Miller is still one of the most de-rupt, disruptive, even at 32 years old. He had nine sacks in 2019, and then Bradley Chubb was injured the year before that. They they haven't really played together. And I think mm-hmm. when you get them on the same defensive line and they're both attacking the quarterback at the same time, that's that's dangerous because I think you got two different players that could go for 15 plus sacks oh, on either that. side. Yeah. Yeah. Watch out. Um, I mean, in today's NFL, you need at least one pass rusher to be competitive, but to have two like Denver does in Von Miller and Brad Bradley Chubb, it's an absolute luxury. The problem is like you said, they haven't, they haven't played together. They've only appeared in four games together the last two seasons. Now, you have both of those guys back, healthy, on the field at the same time. Opposing offenses need to watch out because together, there's no reason that they should finish with less than 20 sacks combined. There's no reason. No, and I think it's going to be more than that. And then you're also going to be giving them breathers by putting Malik Reed in every other series. That's what I would do. I would start them off the next series. I'd sub out Von Miller because he's the vet, and I'd put in Malik Reed. And then the next series, I put Malik Reed on the opposite side and bring Von Miller back in and give Chubb a breather and then put them all like it's just such a great rotation for that pass rush. Malik Reed has really developed nicely. I I wouldn't be surprised, though, if next season they let Von Miller go and they give Malik, Malik Reed the, the green light as the starter. Uh, it'll be a lot cheaper for them. It just really depends on if they want Von Miller to retire as a Bronco as he yeah. should he's earned that right so very, we'll see. very similar I, I very similar as you know von miller comparing him to melvin ingram and then comparing uh malik reed to nobosu kind of a, a young guy who was kind of not given a chance that we kind of wanted to give him and just you know the the contracts is kind of make it more favorable to go with the young guy so similar kind of similar thing i think why the the Denver pass rush is just going to be absolutely amazing is because of the interior guys that they have. Oh, for sure. Draymond Jones, Mike Purcell, Shelby Harris, and Aguim McKelvin. That is a super, super strong unit. Shelby Harris is is kind of that star of that group. But don't sleep on Draymond Jones. Uh, Draymond Jones has gotten better each of the last two seasons. Uh, And then Mike Purcell, he's – nose tackle is not a statistics – driven type of uh, position, but it, it's the position that frees up the linebackers and Joseph yeah. Jewell 
and Alexander Johnson really, really benefited from Mike Purcell clogging holes. The Broncos just never seem to have issues developing interior defensive linemen, do they? No, it, it seems like a luxury for them every year that I've been alive, um, and I hate it. I want them to have a, a, a crappy defensive line just one season. Facing the Broncos twice a year has always been a challenge. They've always had a good defense. They've always had a good defensive line specifically, though. If you look at the edges, you look, you know, they do run a true 3-4 defense, but when you're getting 30 pressures from Draymond Jones and 30 pressures from Mike Shelby Harris, plus you're getting the pass rush from Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, and you're getting it from Malik Reed now, then you have like this really strong nose tackle in the middle that's freeing up your linebackers. Their scheme is just flawless. Yeah, that's a lot of players that you just mentioned. I, I think if I'm a Broncos fan, the only thing that worries me is, is the health of the interior defensive line. Not a single defensive lineman played more than 13 games last season for the Broncos. Um, and all three of those guys you mentioned dealt with injuries during the season or not. Purcell had off-season surgery. He didn't participate in OTAs. He was off to the side doing his own thing. I, I didn't see if he showed up today for training camp. But if I'm a if I'm a little concerned about the safety or the health of those guys, just because last year all three of them across the board dealt with an injury here or there. But they have the depth to, to kind of counteract that. And then sure. Gene McTelvin is another player that could push. He. He's got position versatility. He can play five tech. He can play three tech. He doesn't really have the strength to play the nose, but if he's getting bigger and he, he really wants to be a complete player, uh, he could potentially, you know, fill that role. I think he's just a little light. I think he's a little uh, just not as strong as he needs to be to really be the nose tackle. And they don't really have anybody behind Mike Purcell to really fill that void. So that that's the one hole I think that they have. But I think McGee McTelvin is going to be a quality depth piece behind Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris. Well, And, and when your glare, most glaring need on defense is defensive tackle, I, I think you're all right. Nose tackle, too. <laughs> no, Right, right. Nose tackle. Run stuffing, nose tackle. And I'm saying run stuffing is great, but it's not as important as pass rush. It's not, a, you know, there's other things no. that are a little more important. No, you can totally use your two defensive ends, your your three, four defensive ends to fill that void. And and those guys are strong. Shelby Harris and Draymond Jones can totally fill that void as well. Easily. So, uh, they're linebackers. So Josie Jewell and, and Alexander Johnson were probably one of the best duos in the entire NFL last season as inside middle linebackers, uh, inside linebackers in, in that three, four defense. Uh, so Alexander Johnson had the second most stops according to PFF and Josie Jewell had the ninth. That is incredible. And a lot of it's due be to that defensive line being so strong. Yeah. It really just frees them up. You're not getting double teams to the second level when you're not able to, to push your man off of, off of your blocking lane. You're just not able to do that. Now they're not high profile names like a Fred Warner or a Bobby Wagner, but they're, offer similar production, especially against a run. Uh, some of that is, you know, some of it is scheme because we already talked about this being a defensive coaching unit more so than it is an offensive coaching unit. But I mean, you're, you're, you're getting really, really good production out of two very young players. I don't even think Alexander Johnson was drafted. I think he was an undrafted player for them, which is, amazing and then Josie Jewell was a fourth round pick so I like them a lot and then you add Baron Browning who was a great draft pick for them he's a super athletic freak uh, and he's going to be a key special teams piece he's just very raw Ohio State linebackers that they turn out quality guys there all the time too so but you know his instincts are lacking a little bit he's a bit streaky but he's he's going to develop into a nice piece for them down the road yeah, but besides what you said, I, Johnson and Jewel, just v two very stout defenders. They don't miss a whole lot of tackles. They were each the, the the top two tackles for the team, tacklers for the team last year. Johnson had 124 tackles and Jewel had 111. That's two guys in the middle of your defense with over 100 tackles. That, that's pretty productive on top I'd of the say. fact. Yeah, very, very talented unit for sure. 
And then let's get into the secondary. Let's go corners. Uh, it's not even fair. I don't even want to yeah. look at this. So it's Kyle Fuller, yeah. Ronald Darby, Patrick Sertain, Bryce Callahan, Michael Aluja Mudia. I don't know if I said that right, but Amudia. All five of those guys could be starters <laughs> yeah. for so, other teams. It's ridiculous. For me, I think the the hardest part here is who's going to play, you know? I think Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller are, are shoe, shoe ins at the top of the depth chart because I think they're one of the most competent corner duos in the league. But then you brought in Bryce Callahan, who's slowly becoming one of the better slot corners. Uh, they added Patrick Sertain, who was widely considered one of the best corners in the draft. And I'm not sure how many times I just said best or better, but you have to say it a lot when you're talking about the, the Broncos secondary because, dude, they are loaded. And we haven't even gotten into their safety room. I, Patrick I Sertain, I, he's he's the rookie. He should be the fourth cornerback on that depth chart. But how do you how do you how do you do that? Like he's what? too talented. He's was the ninth or eleventh overall pick right before the Chargers. Uh, two picks before the Chargers, and this guy is a bona fide star. He's going to be. He. Many thought he was the best corner in a strong cornerback class. I just don't know how you don't get him on the field. Well, yeah. And to me, to me, the first thing I say was like, oh, well, we're just going to run dime all day. But you can't do that because of all of the great linebackers and the great pass rushers you have. So it's a great problem to have. You have a ton of talented defenders. I, I think the hard part for uh, – that defensive coordinator is which 11 are you going to go with on any given down? I would, I would seriously look into potentially trading Ronald Darby so you can get him on the field. You have too many DBs. Like, there's too you many. You can't DBs. have too many DBs though. That's the thing, but it's I, like you want to get your best players on the field and it's not fair. <laughs> it's yeah. not fair being a chargers fan that they have all this depth in the cornerback room. It kind of rem- it kind of reminds me of the Jack Boys when you just never saw Desmond King see the field, and he was just buried, buried, buried because we just had so many DBs going off. Um, it's a good spot to be in. I- I'm with you. It is. I wonder if they're going to to move anybody to safety and play some of that that big dime, big nickel. You know, moving so like Justin Simmons. Let's go and talk about the safeties. They got Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons. They got Caden Stearns, who they t- uh, drafted from Texas in the, one of the later rounds. Uh, all, and then they have Tedrick Thompson and Trey Marshall. So they still have a pretty decent. And Jamar Johnson. Oh, I didn't even know they had Jamar Johnson. They drafted Caden Stearns in the fifth and then like four or five picks later took up Jamar Johnson, which, okay. That is just not fair. The rich just keep getting richer. I, I really like Caden Stearns. And if you're looking for, you know, an athletic safety coming out of the draft, that Stearns was your guy. 959 on the Raz score, ran a 4440, 42-inch vertical and 14 reps on the bench. Then you want a ball hawk, you gotta go Jamar Johnson. PFF had him as the number three safety coming into it. I think that was a little high, but all of that is based on his ball production. He had 406 career snaps in college. Intercepted seven passes and broke up another six. Insane production, and those are your backups. Simmons had a monster year last year: five interception and ninety-six tackles. And Kareem Jackson's one of the best strong safeties when healthy. That that secondary, I don't know how how They're many not times all I going to make the roster. Somebody's going to the practice squad, and somebody's getting picked up from another team. It's got to happen. That's where I'm at. I never thought it was possible, but the Broncos have too many DBs. Just it might be just one too many, but you can't carry eight. Like who's not going to make? You got five corners that are like shoe ins, right? You got Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, Bryce Callahan, Patrick Sertain, and Michael Amudier, and then you've got Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, Caden Stearns, Tedrick Thompson, Jamar Johnson, and then Trey Marshall. I'm, I don't really <laughs> know too much about Trey Marshall, but like one of those guys. Two of those guys that can't make the roster. Two of them. Yeah, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of DBs. Um, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind taking one or two. I I think that there somebody's going to go to the practice squad and they're gonna they're gonna have to say bye. Somebody's going going to get picked up and get a free fifth round draft pick. Like yeah, yeah. 
that and whoever that team is going to be very very lucky because all every guy you just mentioned is very very talented football player very talented more talented than what we have for depth on ours for sure easily easily Going into special teams, uh, the the kicker is going to be Brandon McManus. He's probably one of the most accurate over the last four to five seasons. He's he's super reliable. Uh, you got Sam Martin as their punter. Uh, honestly, don't know much about Sam Martin, but then they got Deontay Spencer and KJ Hamler and Bryce Callahan all able to and Tyree Cleveland all able to return kicks. So they have strong returners. That's one of the things I feel like the Chargers are lacking a little bit is is strong returners. I know we have Joe Reed, but he may not even make the roster. They got a legitimate four to five returners that could make their roster. So they should be dangerous there as well. Plus, I think that they have quality depth all over the, the team. I just don't think that they have the starting offensive line to really keep up or the quarterback to really take them deep into a, a playoff run. Well, and those those are huge. I mean, when you're starting a a, a team or a franchise in Madden, what are the two one of the two top uh, positions you you look after? Quarterback and left tackle. Very very important positions. I think left tackle is taken care of, but the rest of that offensive line is. Uh, I'm yeah, very. I think a few years away from being even middle of the pack. Right. They they definitely have pieces there to develop. Uh where do you think they, they fall? What's what's their record gonna be? What do you say? Seven and ten. Seven and ten. Wow, you're pretty low on them. I am I am. Um when you have the yeah, when when you're going into the season with the lead leaguer and in interceptions, um that's kind of just I don't know. I I love the defense, but the defense is only gonna score so many points. Right. I, I get that. I think that you're going to get some development. I think Drew Locke is going to win that battle. I think if they go nine and eight and they're going to be outside looking in on a playoff spot. Uh, I know that they there's an additional playoff spot available. I'll reverse that. I'll go eight and nine and the Chargers... Uh, I'm not going to give too much of a record, but I think the Chargers finished second in the AFC West ahead of the Broncos. And then uh, we'll talk about the Raiders' terrible roster next week. It, that's going to be fun. It's oh, going to be I'm a lot of jokes, a lot of laughing, a lot of <laughs> you guys aren't very good. So no, they're, they're ready not. for that. No, they're not. I can't wait to talk about John Gruden. Yeah, or Chucky. Or Chucky. We can talk about Chucky. <laughs> Dude, that has to be the worst. We'll get into it. No, the worst haircut in the history of any professional sport. The bull cut, and he 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 rocks it though. Uh, He he does, but that man is very very ugly. He is. All right, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART.